So Aaron is going to be speaking this morning, and you guys have the privilege this morning of hearing a lot about what she has to say. Here's the deal, guys. Here's the deal. You're going to have to show Aaron a lot of attention because she is pregnant, and pregnant women are capable of very violent acts. If, if you're not paying attention, she might just go crazy on you. Justin, remember that. You don't want to... You don't want to walk away from the retreat with, with any uh, serious injuries. So anyway, I wanted to start by saying when Aaron talks about God's love, I think she's the right person to talk about that because I see it so much in her life. I live with her every day, and I work with her. I mean, we're always together. We're together 24-7 pretty much. And most people, when they hear that, they always say, how in the world do you not kill each other? How do you... How do you like hanging out with each other, even though you're always around each other? And I think the reason is that Erin really is so loving herself. She really is the kindest and most gentle person I've ever met. And she is a very great expression of God's love to me. I mean, the fact that God gave me such an amazing wife is just a picture of the love that God has for me. And so I think she's definitely the right person to be talking about this, this, this morning. And I hope you guys get a lot out of it. So why don't you welcome her? I would like to remind Leah that she made the mistake of eating the Triscuits in front of a pregnant woman. <laughs> Not a good idea if you want to keep your food. <laughs> so let me draw you back in now that I've distracted you all. I want to start out by reading a story. And it's a story a lot of you have heard. And it's about the prodigal son. And it's found in Luke 15, 11 through 24. So this is a story that Jesus is telling. And he says, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now, the interesting thing about this story is a lot of times we think it's about the son, but I think what Jesus wanted to point out was the father. Because in that culture, there's a few things about this story that's really interesting. Um, when the son went to the father and said, give me my share of the estate, I guess it was typical back then that the father would, when he was tired of managing his estate and wanted to retire, he'd divide it up amongst his sons. But for a son to go to a father and say, give it to me, was a show of great disrespect. And it showed that he did not 
respect his father's authority at all. And then it goes on and it says that he's living wildly and partying. And, and then when there's a severe famine, he does the most degrading thing you could in that culture, and he feeds pigs. And that's a huge way to defile yourself in that culture. So basically the son is worthy of death, according to the culture. He should have been taken out in stone just because he was so rebellious against his father and had no respect for his father. So I think what was interesting is Jesus, when the son came back, talked about how the father had so much compassion on his son that he had this huge celebration. And he wanted to show how much this father loved this son. And he wanted to relate that back to the heavenly father, that this is how the heavenly father viewed us with this much love. Jesus wanted to show how God really is. And I think it really surprised people because people then and today have this messed up view of God. In 1 John 4, 8 and 16, it talks about how God is love, that God is the definition of love. That is who he is, is love. Here's a really interesting quote by Floyd McClung. It says, no one has ever rejected God. They've only rejected false impressions of God. So in most people's minds, when they reject God, it's because they've rejected what they view God as. And most of the time, it's not true. You know, this is not who God is. But they reject that image because they, that's what they think. A lot of times we think he's a God of rules. Don't do this, don't do that, and if you do it, I'm going to smite you. We've heard that a lot, that he's impersonal. Does he really hear us? Sometimes we think about that. Like, if we pray, do our prayers hit the ceiling and go no farther? There's a really funny quote by Voltaire. It says, God created man in his own image, and man has been returning the favor ever since. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and it's true, right? A lot of times we as humans, we naturally make God out to be like we are. You know, we're selfish, we're mean, we don't get along with each other, and so we have this view that God is just like us. Even as Christians, we say that we believe that God loves us, but do we really live like it? I mean, it's easy to say, yeah, I know God loves me. But if you believe something is true, you're going to live like it's true. You're going to follow that with an action. So do we live like God loves us? A lot of times we find it easier to work for love, because that's our natural tendency, rather than accept love as a free gift. We feel uncomfortable if someone loves us, even if we've been bad or mean to them or done something stupid. We feel like we don't deserve their love. So it's a lot easier for us as humans to naturally want to earn love than to just accept it. And so because of that, we have this distorted view of God and what his love is all about. So as Christians, we also are like this. We focus on other things like our sin or if we're pleasing God or not. Or let me fill my schedule with 50 million different super spiritual things so that way I can earn brownie points with God, right? <laughs> we're like, oh, I'm doing so many things. God must be happy with me. Or he must be really upset with me because I can't overcome this sin, this issue in my life. Or does God really approve of me? Is he really pleased with me? Or am I such a screw-up that I can't get over this and God doesn't really love me? I think a lot of us have had these thoughts at one time, that what we do or do wrong really affects how God views us. So I want to reiterate that sin is a big issue and living for God is a big issue, but they need to be put in their proper perspective. Our proper perspective is that our focus needs to be on Him and not on our sin, not on these other issues that aren't as important as He is. And this is one way to look at it. My dad, he was kind of strict. Whenever he put on his belt, there's this particular belt and it had this belt buckle on it. Whenever he put that on, I was on my best behavior. Because <laughs> I thought he put that belt on specifically for me, you know. <laughs> 
And he also gave this look that would just melt me. If I was being disobedient, he'd just have to look at me, and I'm like, okay, we'll do whatever you want, you know. But if that was my only view of my father, my relationship with him would be pretty pathetic. I wouldn't have a very meaningful relationship with him or a very deep relationship, nor would I want to have a relationship with him, right? Instead, my dad, he's an amazing guy, you know. I remember having deep conversations with him when I was 12 years old. He would sit and he would listen to my ideas and he would talk to me and he would spend time with me as well as discipline me. But if I focused only on his discipline and not on the ways he loved me and showed his love for me, I would have this totally skewed version of my father. So one thing I want you guys to realize is this talk is a simple talk. You know, God's love is pretty simple and some ways and not very simple in other ways. So it's a reminder of how much God really loves us. When we're going through this talk, I want you to ask yourselves, what ways do I need to rethink how I respond to and view God? And how have my views of God's love been challenged through this talk? So to start with, I want to just talk about the depth and height and length of God's love. In reality, this is just the tip of the iceberg. There are so many verses about God's love in the Bible that it's overwhelming. But this is just a small perspective of how much God loves us. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, is the definition of love. It says, Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes always perseveres, and love never fails. And that's the definition of true love. And this is the love that the Father has for us. God's love is patient. God's love is kind. And it goes on. He is the perfect definition of love, who He is. So He is patient. He is not easily angered. So He's not going to smite us or squash us or you know, send a bolt of lightning down to kill us. In 2 Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So this is His desire, is that everyone would come to Him. Even if you're a terrible person, He wants you to come to Him, because His desire is to have a relationship with you. And so He's patient with you. And also in Psalms 145.8, it says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. He's kind. And this is a really funny verse. In Luke 6.35, it says, you will be sons of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. He is kind to the ungrateful. And how many times have we been ungrateful and not really realized what He's done for us or cared about what He's done for us? But it says He's kind to the ungrateful. And not just us as Christians, but non-Christians too. It's a, they're ungrateful and all of us are wicked. We have these desires within us that are not good. And it says He's kind to us. In Romans 2, it talks about his kindness draws us to repentance. And this is a huge thought, because in our own minds, whenever someone's wronged us, we want to condemn them. We want to, you terrible person, how dare you do this? We want to take our revenge against that person. But in reality, that doesn't promote repentance. That just promotes anger, right? And so God wants to draw us with his kindness to himself. In 1 John 4, 16 through 18, it says, And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in Him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like Him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. 
The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So if we're f- fearful, then we have no comprehension of God's love for us. You know, because perfect love drives out fear. If we really are living in God's love, there will be no fear. His love is secure. How much do we really strive for security in relationships? An awful lot. We're willing to do really stupid things in order to have security in relationships. Like girls, we're willing to give ourselves to a guy. Or guys, you're willing to go to great lengths to find love as well. There's this need for security amongst our human relationships because there's no free love, really, in human relationships. But in a relationship with God, it is free. And so we can have great security in that. And John 10, 27 through 28 says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. No one includes me as an individual. I cannot snatch myself out of his hand because no one includes everyone, right? And I'm part of everyone. In Romans 8, 38 and 39, it says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So my death nor my life can separate me. The spiritual world can't separate me, the present nor the future. So what I'm doing now and what I'm going to do in the future can't separate me. Neither height nor depth, so where I am, nor anything else in all of creation. And once again, I'm a creation, so therefore I cannot separate myself from his love. The awesome thing about God is that He keeps His promises. There's a really cool verse that's in Revelation 3.20. It says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. What Jesus is saying is if you open your heart to Him, He comes in, right, and He eats with you. And that's kind of a weird verse. You're like, what, what exactly all does that mean, right? Back then, if you're making a covenant with someone or a commitment, to solidify the commitment you would go and dine with that person. And that means that this is an unbreakable commitment to this person. So what it's saying there is that when you open your life to Christ, He makes an unbreakable commitment with you. His love is very secure. And in 2 Corinthians 1.20 it says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through Him the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So we can have security in knowing that God always keeps His promises and our relationship with Him is secure. He calls us his children, and I love this, how I can be called a child of God. This is a huge thing. Before Jesus came, we couldn't just go to God. But now that we have this ability to have connection with God because of Christ, we are able to go to him like we go to our Father. And I don't have to stand in line to go to my dad. I can call him up whenever I want. I don't have to get his permission. I can go to his house whenever I want. I have, when I go to him, his undivided attention. And that's the same way with God. This is the relationship idea that he wants us to have for him, is that we can go to him and we're going to have his undivided attention. In 1 John 3.1 it says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And then John 1.12 it says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And then Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And then 2 Corinthians 6.18, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Another really awesome thing about God is that he takes care of us. He provides for us, just like a good father does. Matthew 6.31-33, it says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? 
Or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And it's so cool. Nate and I have actually been able to really see and experience this firsthand about God's provision. Four years ago, Nate and I quit very secure jobs where we were making good money to trust God to provide so that way we could minister to you guys, you know, and share God's love with all of you. And it's a really scary thing, quitting your job without much money in the bank. But also, it's so cool to be able to step out and see that God really does provide. He really does come through on His promises. And we've seen time and time again Him provide in amazing ways. You know, it's really awesome. He satisfies us. This is so cool because so often the world doesn't give us satisfaction. We try to fill our lives with so many different things, like going on trips or education or relationships or work or school. We try to fill our lives because there's this hole in our hearts. There's this emptiness that we have in our lives that nothing can fill. But Jesus says that he's the one that fills it. It says in John 4.14, But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So he promises that we will be satisfied with him. And we won't have this need for other things to fill our lives. It's so interesting. When we first started traveling a lot together, Nate and I, you always expected to go to these foreign countries and have this wonderful epiphany of how, I don't know, the special feeling when you went to these countries. But you get there, and you're like, oh, this is just like going to any other place. It's fun, but it doesn't fill this thing in my life that I expected it to fill. And I was kind of surprised by that at first. And I was like, oh, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Nothing satisfies but him alone. This is an awesome one. He does not hold anything against us when we accept his free gift, when we go to him to repent. Because love keeps no record of wrongs. In Hebrews 10:17 says, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And Psalms 103:12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. God removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. And there is no end to that. That's affinity. So our sin has removed as far away from us as possible. Isn't that cool to think about? That he doesn't count our sin against us, that we are not guilty of those not-so-nice things that we've done. This is awesome, too. He cares about the big things and even about the unimportant things in our lives. In 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He wants the things in our lives that are bothering us or aren't so important that we don't think are important but are bothering us. He wants them. He wants us to come to him with those. There's this really cool story about when Nate and I first went to Romania. Well, I guess it was the second trip to Romania. We were with a bunch of students. And like always happens, we have trouble with our airplanes. Our plane in Denver was delayed. We finally got to Washington, D.C., where we are supposed to connect to our next flight, and obviously we missed it. And so we had a long layover. And before we had gotten on the plane, Nate had said, wouldn't it be really cool if at some point on our layover we could stop at a Friday's? Because Nate had discovered that Friday's has these awesome brownies. Nate has a huge weakness for brownies. <laughs> like, a huge weakness for brownies. But these were not just regular brownies. These were like the king of all brownies. They had special chocolate gooeyness all over them. I don't really remember what they were like, but they were really good brownies. They really were. 
We had just discovered how good they were. And so that's all Nick could really think about was these brownies. <laughs> he didn't even pray about this, so this is crazy. So what it looked like before we started on that plane trip, you know, catching all our flights, was that there was going to be no possible way that we were really going to have time to stop at a Friday's. But lo and behold, we're late. We have a layover. So Nate goes up to the lady at the front desk and says, Look, our plane was delayed, and so we missed our connecting flight. Can we get meal vouchers? Because we don't have any food. We're hungry. So the lady said, Yeah, here's how many people are in your group. And I think there's seven of us. So she gave us seven $16 meal vouchers. And she says, Oh, the best place to go is Fridays. It's right down the hall. <laughs> right? And so that is a cool story, just how God even cares about the little, very unimportant things in life. How Nate wanted to go to a Friday, so he didn't even pray about it, but God provided anyway. The cool thing is, is he's always there for us, even when we don't want him to be. <laughs> in Psalms 139, 7-12, it says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. How comforting is that, that even when we think we're alone, we never are. He is there with us. That's pretty amazing to me. He always protects us. It says in Psalms 139.5, You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. In Psalms 121.7, The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. And in Psalms 91.4, He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. So He protects us. And I don't know about you, but I know Nate and I and myself alone have many stories where we almost died, but didn't because God was there protecting us. I'm sure a lot of you had those stories too. This is probably the neatest thing that I love about His love is His affection for us. So reality is God not only loves us, but He actually likes us too. <laughs> Which is a huge thought because a lot of us aren't really likable people, I guess. <laughs> In John 16:27, it says, No, the Father Himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. And the word, the Greek word for love there actually means a tender affection. So he really, really likes you guys. Also in Psalms 139, 17 and 18, it says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. When you really like someone or have a crush on someone, don't you think about them a lot? Can you get them out of your mind ever? I know Nate couldn't get me out of his mind, so... <laughs> But no, you always are constantly thinking about this person, right? And this is what God does with us. He's constantly thinking about us. And it says his thoughts outnumber the grains of sand. And so to illustrate this, I decided to use visual illustration. I brought some dirt. Here's my dirt. And obviously I do not live on the sea, so I don't have any sand. So dirt will have to do. That's a lot of dirt. How much dirt would you say is in there? I'll say... I don't know what that means, but... <laughs> so... I had Amy count out about a hundred 
grains of dirt. She promised me that this is 100 grains. It looks like it's a little bit more than 100 grains. <laughs> so this is a visual picture of what 100 grains of dirt looks like. Isn't that crazy? You would think that it was more than that, right? You guys want to pass it around so you can get a better visual? You yes. can do that. Nate decided he would calculate how many would fill this. And I'm trusting him because I'm really bad at math. So he said it would take about 500 times that just to fill an eighth a cup. Isn't that crazy? So imagine God thinks of us more than there are grains of sand. Isn't that a huge thought, that visual, once you see it? That's a lot of thoughts. He really does. He thinks about us that much. Isn't that crazy? And I think the grains of sand are kind of uncountable. In Zephaniah 3.17, it says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. In Psalms 147.11, The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. So he delights in us. He's excited about us. Isn't that cool? It kind of puts it in perspective when you do something wrong. You're like, oh, but God still likes me. He still is excited about me. He also, this is really cool, he desires to physically dwell with us. And the cool thing is, is he will. In Revelation 21, 3, it says, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So God is going to physically dwell with us someday, because he desires to be with us just simply because of that. And once again, he is concerned with the small, very unimportant details of our lives. In Matthew 10:30, it says, even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And I don't know about you, but I think the only people that are concerned with hair are girls and balding men, right? <laughs> but it says that God has numbered our hair. You know, not even I'm concerned with how many numbers my hair are. Yeah, and every second it changes. And so he knows how many hairs we have on our head. That tells me that he's really concerned with even the small, unimportant details in our lives. And Psalms 139, 1 through 4, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. And before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. So he knows us pretty well. He knows the intimate details of our lives very, very well. And he's always concerned with us. Also, he blesses us. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And think about it. Sending Jesus was the greatest gift that will ever, ever be given. And it says if he was not even willing, or if he was willing even to give us this gift, then how will we also not graciously give us all things? So he's not going to withhold anything from you, but he's going to bless you tremendously. It goes on and talks about all the amazing things that God wants to do for us. You can look at it in Luke 11, 11 through 13. In James 1, 17, it talks about have every good thing comes from Him. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him. So everything good in your life comes directly from Him. In Deuteronomy 7.7, 7, there's a really funny story. Nate and I have been reading through the Bible. Right now we're in Deuteronomy. <laughs> and it's just talking about the Israelites and how they're dumb, honestly. They keep doing really stupid things. Like God will do this amazing miracle. 
and the next day they'll be complaining, oh, God doesn't love us, blah, 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 you know? We just want to go back and die in Egypt. And you're like, oh, my gosh, look what he did for you, and you're acting like this. But this is what God said. It says, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore. So right there, that's unconditional love. Like God doesn't bless us because we're so good and we deserve it, or because we've earned brownie points. He blesses us just simply because he loves us. That's it. Isn't that amazing? Just because he loves us, he blesses us. He provides a life of meaning and purpose. In John 10.10, Jesus says, One of the reasons he came to the earth was that we may have life and have it to the full. That it would be a full life. That it would be a life of purpose, a life of meaning. So once again, it's caring about the small issues in life. And for humans, having a life of purpose is a pretty big issue for us, right? And it says that he came to provide that. He also cares when we're hurting for our feelings. In Revelation 21, 4, it says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And then Psalms 56, 8, it says, Record my lament, list my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? So it says that He even records every time we're hurt, every time we cry. He knows those things, and He remembers them. In Psalms 34, 18, it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. There's also an example of when Jesus actually cried over people when Lazarus died, because He really cares for us when we're hurting. He really is close to us when we're hurting. This is another interesting one that we don't like so much about His love, but it's that He disciplines us. How many of you have ever been around a child that hasn't been disciplined? <laughs> They're not that much fun to be around, right? How many of you were children that weren't disciplined yourself? <laughs> Right? Children that haven't been disciplined are not exactly the greatest things to be around. I worked at a Head Start, and I was around a lot of undisciplined children, and they were just kind of the worst to be around. They were mean, they would hit other kids, and there's no way you can keep them under control because they've not been disciplined. In reality, we need to be disciplined because otherwise we'll be spoiled brats and never change, right? So as a young child, our parents discipline us so that way we'll be able to live in society as good adults. And so think about how much more important it is for God to discipline us. And it says that He disciplines us so we can share in His holiness. He wants us to share in His holiness. He wants us to be like Him. And so because He loves us, He'll discipline us. His love is free. In Hosea 14, 4 it says, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely. His love never ends or fails. In Jeremiah 31, 3 it says, The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. So he says that I love you forever. I love you before you are born, and I will love you long after you die. He will love us forever. No matter what we do, he loves us forever. But the cool thing about God is that he doesn't just use words. He also puts his love in action. And the greatest way, we'll go into that in just a second, there was a problem we as humans don't naturally care about God or want anything to do with Him. In Romans 3.11, says, There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. The way of, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. 
So naturally, we don't want to come to God. We don't even want to have anything to do with Him. And it's really, it's impossible for us to come to God on our own just because we are so focused on our own way and going opposite of what God is that we completely ignore Him. And so if you look at Matthew 23-37, Jesus is saying, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those unto you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. So we are not willing on our own to come to God. But the solution for that is, in John 6:44, it says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. A lot of times we look at that, oh, God only draws certain people, but it's not what it's saying. It says that God pursues us. He goes after us. There's a really cool story about that. I have an illustration, and it's about Nate and I. So when Nate first met me, he goes home to his dad. I guess his dad was visiting, and he said, I've met this girl that I kind of like to date. So it was love at first sight for Nate. But me, on the other hand, I was off in my own little world, doing my own thing, you know, not even acknowledging Nate existed. I'm sorry. <laughs> so Nate was very persistent and he pursued me for a year and finally I and I, I was still completely dumb and oh, I'm going to do my own thing I had a lot of issues to deal with apparently <laughs> and so I wanted to just be friends and I mean nothing to earn Nate's love. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. In fact, I did the opposite. I tried to get him to stop liking me. <laughs> but luckily, God knows best, and Nate continued to be patient with me and persistent with me. And finally, I woke up one day and I said, I'm a complete idiot. What am I doing? And uh, the rest is history. Nate and I are married now. <laughs> But the thing is, is that I did nothing, absolutely nothing, to earn Nate's love. And it's humbling to me to realize it's only by the grace of God that Nate and I are married, just because of my stupidity, you know? And I think it's the same way with God. It's only by God's persistence, you know? And it scares me sometimes to think, what if Nate decided to give up on me, you know, and stop pursuing me? I would have missed out on the most awesome marriage on the planet in reality you know and so it's really scary to think that I almost missed a huge gift in my life it really really lets me see what God does for us because of that that he pursues us and he's persistent and he's patient with us until we wake up and realize our stupidity and we're like oh wait a second I need to have a relationship with God in Luke 15 3 through 7 it also talks about God's persistence in pursuing us and it talks about the parable of the lost sheep, how someone, if you have a hundred sheep and one wanders away, the shepherd will leave the 99 to go find the one. And that's the way our father is. He will leave, you know, he will go and he will chase us down and pursue us until we finally wake up. Oh, look who's following me. I better go after him too. This is really cool. He pursued us with sacrificial love. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 has this beautiful definition of just what it meant to, for Jesus to come down and become human. It says um, in Philippians 2, 6 through 8, it says, Who, being in the very nature God, 
it's talking about Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. How humiliating would that be for God Almighty to put on human skin? In reality, think about it. He was equal with God, but yet he let that go just so he could pursue a relationship with us. That's huge. He was born in a barn and laid in a food trough. These humbling circumstances. He should have been honored and worshipped, but people instead turned their back on him, right? But he chose that just to pursue a relationship with us. Isn't that amazing? Just that thought. That's how big it was for him to do that. Just to relate with us, just for this. That's what he did for us. In John 1.14 it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So basically God put on human skin. In 1 John 4, 9-10, it also talks about it. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And there are so many other ones. Romans 5, 8, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's so cool. We don't have to clean up to have a relationship with him. We just have to come to him and accept what he gives us, accept this free gift from him. When Christ was on the earth, he showed love in action as well. He had compassion for people. In Matthew 9:36, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He took time for people. He wanted to let people know how much he loved them. He valued them. There's two of my favorite stories in the Bible, in the Gospels, is John 4, when it talks about the woman at the well. Here was this woman who was probably notoriously bad woman in her town. I mean, she was sleeping around. She'd had five husbands. She was a Samaritan in the first place, so normally Jews don't associate with Samaritans. But Jesus took time for her. You know, and because he took time for her, like the whole town came to him, right? That's a beautiful story. Another beautiful story is in Matthew 9.20. It talks about the woman that had been bleeding for 12 years and it wouldn't stop. The interesting thing is, is if you look at the law, if a woman is bleeding, she can't touch anybody. Otherwise, she'd make them unclean. So by coming up and touching Jesus, she would have made him ceremonially unclean. But he, instead of, you know, yelling at her and getting mad like most people probably would have done, he took time for her and he loved her. Isn't that beautiful? That is a huge story, you know, of how much compassion and love Jesus had for people. And it goes on, Jesus healing the sick and befriending people that no one liked, like tax collectors, right? He even took time for children, and he took time to teach people what true love was. He chooses us. In John 15, 16, it says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And it talks about how he chose us in Ephesians 1, 14, before the creation of the world. So he had you in mind before he created you. In Second Thessalonians 2.13 it says that God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. And a lot of times we think, well, if God chooses me then I don't have a choice myself. But that's not true. You've got to think of it as this way. Nate chose me, but I also chose Nate. Right? So it's like a marriage. Like, there's two choices, the husband choosing and the wife choosing. So God chooses us, but we have the choice as well, whether or not we want a relationship with Him. And with complete understanding, He pours out His love on us. In Ephesians 1, 4 through 8, 
It says, In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. It says that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. So he didn't pull the wool over his eyes. It wasn't like he said, oh, I'm going to give Terry this grace, and then realized, oh, wait, Terry doesn't deserve this. What was I thinking? You know, He understands completely who you are, what you've done, and he still lavished his grace on you. So in closing, Ephesians three seventeen through 19 says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So my desire for this talk is that you would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Because when you begin to understand better how much God loves you, and you begin to walk in that, you will be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's huge, and that's all I have.